Man, it is so good to be home. You know, I, I love, there are places I love going, and I, I love to travel, I love to see things, I love going to camp with our kids, but there is nothing like the feeling of your own bed. It is good to get home, to get back into this place and to see the house filled up and know I'm with my family. And I'm so glad to be with you this morning. And I hope that you are glad you came to God's house. I hope you brought God's word with you. This morning, we're going to look together in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to take it out, open it to the Gospel of Matthew, the 7th chapter. We're going to look together at just two verses. And I know some of you note-takers are going to say, wait a minute, he preached out of this text a year ago on a Sunday night, and yes, I did. That's all right. God's Word is always new, always fresh, always fitting, and always appropriate for what we have to consider in our lives. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus was drawing to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, And, you know, I've had people ask me through the years, why do you always extend an invitation? Why aren't you satisfied just to say, well, that's about what I got to say. Let's let's sing a song and we'll we'll leave. First off, I'm just going to tell you from my own perspective, I think any time that we take the Word of God, open it, lay out what God's truth is and how it should change us and what it should do, and we explain the good news of Jesus Christ and how to receive Him as Savior and Lord, we should give people an opportunity to respond to that. That's just my conviction, but I think it's also a biblical conviction. In fact, I'm just going to tell you this morning, Jesus was good at giving invitations. I mean, he was constantly giving invitations. In fact, Matthew chapter 7 is an invitation. Jesus concluded the sermon by making a, a comparison between four contrasting sets, pairs, First, he revealed there's a pair of gates leading to a pair of roadways, a narrow gate of self-denial leading to the narrow way of of Christian living, and the broad gate of of self-indulgence that leads on a broad way to hell. Secondly, he talked about a pair of trees that produce two different kinds of fruit. Self-deception is the fruit produced by false prophets, and the assurance assurance that's found in Christ is what results from the Word of God and, and, and true prophets. Third, he discussed a pair of men in which one was wise and the other was foolish. And finally, and fourth, Jesus described two houses that were built. One was built on rock, one was built on sand, and we know about their outcomes. Well, this morning, we're going to look at that first comparison. The comparison about those two gates that lead to a different pair of roadways. It's two verses, that's all. That should give you hope. Two verses. I mean, a guy can't spend too much time in two verses, can he? Let the timers begin. Matthew chapter 7. Find verse 7. I've been with kids all week long. Find verse 13. Once you've got verse 13, if you can, well, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read together this morning from the Word of God. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus says this. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. My friends, it's the difference between an interstate highway 
in a country lane. Let's pray that God would explain that to us this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask you this morning, in this moment, that you would bless the reading of your word. I pray that today you would speak through me. Even as you have in days past spoken to me, I I pray that now through the opening of your word, you would speak through me to myself and to these who are gathered here. Help us to understand your way and to walk in it. Father, I pray that as we spend this time together, you would reveal to each one of us the condition of our heart, the condition of our relationship to you and with you. And finally, Father, I pray that you would show us what we need to do and give us grace and courage to do it. Teach us what we need to know, Father. We're ready to listen, for we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Two roads. Two roads. Interstate, country lane. One takes you on an easy travel path. Bypasses things you don't want to see, gets you to your destination in the quickest way possible. Not always, if you're familiar with the interstate system in the United States, not always the smoothest roads, but usually better than those backcountry roads. You'll hit a few potholes. You may hit some of those little bumpy, ridgy things that they put out there to keep the truckers honest. But for the most part, pretty good roads, and you can move pretty quickly, and you can get from point A to point B. You don't see much of anything. You just kind of fly down the road, and you take in what's there. And then there are those country roads, those back lanes, those, those, those I don't even know what to call them. You know, I used to live on Route 66, Before I came to Wichita, I lived on Route 66. And folks, living on Route 66, you are on the lifeline of America. I mean, that's where our interstate system, that's where the concept came from. The problem was they figured out with Route 66, you had to slow down too much going through different little towns. Uh, There were all these different, but, oh man, talk about great restaurants and bed and bread. That's another story. Anyway, it's a back road. But you know what? You drive those back roads, you see a lot more. You meet a lot more people. You experience a lot of different things. Well, here's the reality. Jesus says, that's what life is like. You're going to have to pick a road. You're going to choose one of two roads. You're either going to choose this broad way, this this broad road that, that leads to destruction. And there are a lot of people who choose that way. In fact, more people choose that than not. Or you're going to choose this narrow way. Now, folks, let's just make this as simple as we can, shall we? Listen, I've been with kids all week. They talk to you. They talk back to you, all right? I I expect a little bit of reaction anyway, all right? Let's, Let's make this simple, shall we? All right. Jesus Christ is the narrow way. He, there, don't, don't misunderstand, don't try to overcomplicate this thing. Jesus Christ is the narrow way. That's what he's talking about. And Jesus was familiar with narrow things. I want you to understand, he lived his entire life on this earth in the area of Israel. It's a narrow area. If you've ever visited Israel, you know this. You come to understand very quickly how small this country is. 71 miles at its widest point, east to west. About 263, 264 miles north to south. It's about the same size as the state of Connecticut. Folks, it's, it's a small country. And Jesus never traveled more than about 100 miles from his birthplace, most likely. 
I mean, he lived his life in this narrow, small place. And can I tell you something? He had a narrow focus mentally. I know a lot of people, wait a minute, he's God. He knows all, he sees all, he is. Yes, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying he had a narrow focus throughout his human life. What I mean by that is everything he was about was heading him toward the cross. Everything that he was about was about honoring his father, redeeming mankind, buying back the lost, giving life to the dead, shining light in darkness. That was the entire focus of his life. His primary focus, his one objective, the one toward, toward, thing toward which everything else moved was the cross. Satan tried to tempt him to bypass it. He refused to do it. People tried to talk him out of it. Even his closest followers, you remember Peter identified him. He said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he turned right smack back around when Jesus said, that's right, I am. And here's how I'm going to redeem the world. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die there. Jesus said, oh, master, don't talk like that. And I mean, just a few lines after you find Jesus saying, you know, blessed are you. He turns around, looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Even his closest friends tried to deter him from his course. This narrow road that he was walking on, he wasn't having any part of it. His aim, his focus, his goal, his purpose was the cross. That's the reason that when he hung on that cross, he could say, it is finished. He had accomplished what he came for. He had completed the work that he came to do. And now we can flash back to the Sermon on the Mount here in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and we find him, before he ever made it to the cross, inviting people to travel this narrow way. Listen, if you're going to travel narrow roads, there's one thing you've got to learn to do. You know what that is? Who said that? Pay attention. You have got to stay focused. Jesus calls those who follow him to focus. You know one of the most irritating things in the world? This is my personal opinion. You may say, well, that doesn't bother me at all. Just irritates the devil out of me. Experienced it yesterday, driving up the interstate, and people are on their phones. And they speed up and they slow down. They speed up and they slow down. And they swerve. And you can always tell when you're coming up behind somebody if they're on their phone, can't you? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. They're not focused. They're not paying attention to what they ought to be paying attention to. And, and the reality is that's true for most of us in life. And Jesus has called those who are going to follow him to be focused. We who are going to follow Christ have got to focus in on him, what he's about, what he's doing, what he desires from us. It's a narrow focus. Now, our world doesn't accept that. Our world thinks we ought to be open-minded. We ought to be broad thinkers. The problem we've run into recently is that our world is falling apart. It's deteriorating, and most people are so open-minded, their brains have fallen out. 
They can't make sense out of how to live life right, knowing what's right and what's wrong. Their moral compass has gotten off. And because of that, our world crows about the benefits of of casual sex and no-fault divorce and and the new age and, and, and relativism. And I want to tell you something, folks. Lives are being destroyed. Culture is deteriorating. And it's all because people have begun to worship the God of self-indulgence. Jesus said that's not the best way to live life. The greatest man who ever walked on planet earth, and I am talking about Jesus, you don't have to figure it out. The greatest man who ever walked on planet earth was narrow-minded. He was focused He had one purpose and one target, and he taught that the secret to joy in life is not self-indulgence, but rather self-denial. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself daily. Take up his cross and follow after me. Listen, I I think sometimes we we hear those words, we read those words, and we think, "Ah, no big deal. The cross was not a necklace. The cross was not a set of earrings, young ladies. The cross was an instrument of death, of torture, of torment, of pain, of agony. When Jesus carried his cross out of the city of Jerusalem, he was carrying the very thing that would kill him. And he says, if you're going to follow me, you take up the instrument of your own death and come after me. Don't get deterred. Don't get detoured. Don't let someone turn you on or turn you off to something else. You stay on focus. You see, the entrance to the Christian life is a very narrow one. This is where this narrow-minded thing always gets us Christian folks into trouble. At least it does with the world at large. Understand something, cities in Jesus' day were off the beaten path. Because of security reasons, the main roads didn't just go right down through the center of town. They didn't want just everybody coming into their town. They wanted to know who you were and what your intention was and why you were there. And so when you came to the city, oftentimes the entrance to the cities was a little bitty gate. You couldn't ride a horse or a camel through those little gates. You had to walk through. And they were so small that if you had ill intentions, they could kill you before you got through the gate. Their intention was to make sure that your purpose was good. It was a narrow way that came in. And here's Jesus comparing entrance into the kingdom of God like passing through this narrow passageway. Can I just tell you something? That's not something novel to the Middle East. That has been the truth in cultures all over the world. A couple of years ago, Kim and I went to Alaska, as you well know. You go into the Native American houses that they had up there, the tribal houses. And the entrance into those tribal houses usually was about this wide and about this tall. And the reality is you had to bend over and sometimes even turn sideways to get through. Point was, enemies couldn't get into that house. They could drop them right in the entryway and never allow them in. And here's Jesus saying, look, the way into the kingdom of God is like that. It's little. 
It, it, it's small. You're going to have to work to get in here. It's narrow. It will let one in at a time. And I think sometimes we feel, I, I'm not so sure in our culture, we haven't missed that. You don't come into God's kingdom as a family. You don't come into God's kingdom as a group, as a congregation. You don't come into God's family as a student ministry. We all come into God's family and into God's kingdom one by one by one by one. When God calls you, if you respond, you come in. Not before, not after, not because your mama and daddy did, not because grandma and grandpa did it. It's because God has called you. It's an individual process. The gate was narrowed, led into the city, and, and so it is with the kingdom of God. We come into the kingdom of God by coming to Christ individually. It's a personal encounter. And whenever we do that, there's some things we leave behind. There are things we leave behind. I, I, I don't know how else to tell you this, but the gate, gate's so narrow, you can't carry your excess baggage in. You're going to have to lo lose the junk. Uh, the people that would lead you the wrong direction, they can't come in the gate with you. You're coming by yourself. And if they don't get through the gate, that's, that's their problem. And I know that you're going to say, well, that just sounds harsh. You're saying you don't care. I'm not saying I don't care. But I'm saying they can't come in just because you do. They come in on their own calling, not yours. Jesus always called individuals to follow, and he did it without compromise. In fact, one time he told a man, he said, look, let the dead bury their dead. Come follow me. He was looking for one man. That was it. You remember he called, he called James and John to leave their ship, to leave their father, to come follow him. He told Peter and Andrew, follow me and I will make you, not y'all, you, fishers of men. The way into Christianity is narrow. Following Jesus, man, that's a, that's a radical journey of faith. And not everybody's up for it. Because it changes life. It changes what is right and what is wrong. What is acceptable and what is unacceptable. What you do and what you say and how you live and how you act. And Christians are challenged every day to take up their cross and follow Christ. And it's not easy. I've had people tell me, well, I was told that if I accepted Christ, everything would be okay. I just want to be honest with you. Somebody lied to you big time. Well, I was told that if I just walked with, with God, if I served him, everything would work itself out. That's not what the word of God says at all. Jesus said, you know, look, the world hated me, and they're going to hate you too. Why do you think he said in the Sermon on that? Blessed are you who are persecuted and reviled for my name's sake. Not because everything's going to be good but because he knew what was coming. They rejected him. They're going to reject you. Listen, doesn't mean you're going to be put to death. Doesn't mean anything like that. But here's the reality. If you're going to follow him, if you're going to serve him, if you're going to come into his kingdom, you're going to have to do it his way. And you're going to have to learn to live life his way. Paul figured it out, but it took Paul a while. He had to work on it just like everybody else does. And Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, and he told his brothers and sisters in Ephesus, listen, if you're going to follow Christ every day, put on the whole armor of God. You're going to war. You're going to war. You say, well, the, the, the world doesn't like Christianity. So what? I want to tell you something. The world is not our enemy. Satan is our enemy. 
And he is real and he is alive and he is prowling about looking whom he may devour. He is roaring like a lion and he is on the attack. But I want to tell you something. He may roar like a lion, but our king is the lion of Judah. He is the real lion. He is the one that we serve. Don't ever back down. Put on the whole armor of God. And having put on, I love what Paul says at the end, having put it on, stand. Stand. It's like just, I mean, stand there and say, come on. Why? Because you're there and you're strong? No, because you have on the armor of God. And Satan cannot penetrate the armor of God. Focus. Focus. You're not going to stay on this narrow way if you lose focus. You're not going to successfully navigate where you're trying to get to. If, listen, we've all known people who started and started well. But then they got sidetracked. They made some bad decisions. Uh, sin crept back into their life. Uh, they started to go to things they shouldn't go to, be in places they shouldn't be in, be with people they shouldn't be with. I mean, it's just one thing after another. And bad choice kind of turns to another bad choice. And those bad choices multiply. And before long, it's not a bad choice. It's now a bad lifestyle. And, and everything starts to fall apart. And people say, well, I thought you were a follower of Christ. Oh, well, I am. Well, you don't live like it. And guess what? We've lost focus. I had no idea when I was preparing this sermon a couple of weeks ago what was going to be preached at Falls Creek, but I'm just kind of repeating a lot of Falls Creek, aren't I, guys? Yeah. Even so far, as to taking you back to Hebrews chapter 12. You remember? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Listen, if you got your eyes on Jesus, you're focused. You're where you ought to be, brothers and sisters. You are looking at the one whom you should be looking at. If your eyes are turned anywhere else, you have lost focus and you're in danger. So brothers and sisters, a word for us. Focus. Focus. Now let me step outside of our family faith and talk to anyone who's here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I want you to know something this morning, and it's simple. Jesus invites everyone into this narrow way. He invites everyone. Listen, Jesus did not call people to admire him. He did not call people to consider him. If you read the Gospels, what you find is that every time Jesus calls them, he invited them to follow him. There's a difference. There are a lot of people I admire, but I'm not going to follow them. There are a lot of folks I read about in the news, and I consider their lives, and I consider their lifestyles, and I see what they're about, but I'm not going to follow them. Jesus didn't say admire me. He didn't say consider me. He said follow me. Just the same, he doesn't call us to look at a narrow gate or look at the narrow way. He invites us here to enter into it. In order for that to happen, you have to understand your need for Christ. And you have to understand the cross. In order to do that, it really comes down to this. We have to recognize on our part who we are. Can I tell you something? God waits on that. And he's constantly pointing it out to us. 
And you say, well, what do you mean what we are? We have to understand, recognize our condition, our situation. Jesus opened the eyes of blind Bartimaeus because he recognized that he was blind. He, Jesus asked him, well, what would you have me do? He said, I, sir, I would see. And he did. That woman at the well in John chapter 4, we talked about her the other night down at camp, didn't we? Jesus gave her something that changed her life, a drink of living water. But he didn't do it while she was standing there at the well with her bucket hanging down. No, it was when she recognized her need. He explained who he was and what he had to offer. And when she said, sir, give me this water to drink so that I may never thirst again. And he gave it to her. And she went away from that well, a woman who was despairing of her sin, and went back into the city. The people despised her, and she looked at them and said, y'all got to come out here and meet this man who told me everything I ever did. Everything changed. Simon Peter lost his focus. Words for brothers and sisters. Simon Peter lost his focus. You remember he had stepped out of the boat. He was walking to Jesus. He lost his focus. He started to sing. Jesus pulled him up, but do you remember when he did it? He did it when Simon Peter called out through the wind, Lord, save me. You got to recognize your need. The first step toward entering the narrow gate is recognizing your need of Christ. Well, why do I need Christ? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a one of us in this room, saved or lost, who is not a sinner. The difference is those who are saved have accepted God's gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. He has become our Lord and Savior. We have been washed in his blood. He has paid the price for our redemption. He has bought us back from sin into freedom. He has taken us from death into life. He has taken us out of darkness into light. We are free because of who Jesus is and what he's done. What I, what I mean when I say you've got to understand the cross is this. It, it's as simple as I can make it because I, I know people argue about this all the time. Theologians have debated it for centuries. But if you open your heart to an understanding of the cross and the fact that that's how God chose to have sin paid for, you're taking another step toward the narrow gate. The journey's a process. A lot of times we have this concept and we think, you know, if someone will confess their sin and pray to ask Christ into their life, everything's turned around, they're grown, they're mature, they're Christians, it's great. No, 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 not so fast, my friend. We call it, Jesus called it, being born again. When babies are born, is the process complete? No. It's just beginning. There's, they've got to grow. They've got to learn how to eat. They've got to learn how to talk. They've got to learn when not to talk. They have to learn how to walk. They have to learn what they can touch and not be hurt and learn the things they got to stay away from because it will hurt them. It's bad for them. They have to go through a process. So do we. And before we venture into this narrow gate of salvation, we ought to count the cost and realize something. It's going to change your life. And if you don't want your life changed, you don't want Jesus. Don't try to play at the game and say, well, Jesus saved me, therefore I'm free to do whatever. Oh, no. No. Uh-uh. It doesn't work like that. When Jesus saves you, you repent of your sin. You turn away from it. 
You don't say, well, because of his grace, I can be forgiven and I can go back. And Do you know what it says in the book of Proverbs? You're going to love this. Students, this is a great one for you. The dog always returns to his vomit. Think about that. What that means is he does this vile thing. And rather than turning and walking away from it and saying, that's awful, he'll go back to it. And you know what that dog will do? I don't even have to tell you, do I? <laughs> See, that's kind of what human nature's like. We get caught in vile sin, and rather than walking away and saying, God, forgive me, and turning away from it and turning to him, our natural tendency is to go back to that sin and live in it. That's not what salvation is about. It's about turning from sin and turning to the Savior. And that's why Jesus said, look, if one of you wants to build a tower, will he, will he not first sit down and consider the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Here's the reality. Do you want do you want what God offers through his son Jesus Christ so badly that you're willing to forsake everything else and follow him? If you're not willing to pay that price, if you're not willing to forsake those things and pursue him with all your heart, you're not going to complete the task. But I want to challenge you. I want to invite you this morning. Take the first step. Every journey begins with a single step, doesn't it? Everything about us is engaged in this process. Our, our intellect, our emotions... And our will. And our will. We accept him intellectually. We, we have to learn who he is and the facts about it. We, it's, listen, sometimes it's an emotional thing. Sometimes he begins to convict us about our sin and we recognize who we are and it drives us to our knees and we find ourselves bowing before him and saying, Oh God, forgive me, a sinner, a wretch, undeserving of your love. You may find yourself with tears streaming down your face. It's okay. This decision is intellectual and it can be emotional. But I want to tell you something. The big word you've got to capture here is this one. Your will. Because until you're willing to surrender your will to his will. Understanding it's no longer what I want to do. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about where I would go or what I would say or who I would serve or who I would be. No, it's all about what does he desire for me and from me and of me now. And whenever we reach that place, he changes our lives. He changes our lives and we accept that graciously. Listen, that process is never completed in a day. It's a lifetime journey. We're born again and we find ourselves following after him, pursuing him, chasing him, wanting to be in his presence, wanting to be around him, denying ourselves so that we can draw closer to him. It's a radical change. I had someone tell me just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking, and I, I asked them if they knew Jesus. Oh, yes, I was saved when I was about 14 years old. Well, tell me what happened. The clouds begin to float in. They had no idea what happened. Well, tell me how your life changed. Well, it really didn't. My friend, 
you're lost. If your life didn't change when you met Jesus, you didn't meet Jesus. You may have had an emotional experience. You may have learned some intellectual facts, but if he did not change your life, you were not born again. Salvation is a radical turnabout. I've used this illustration before, but I want to use it in closing this morning. I had to go back and find it again, but I love this illustration of what it's like to be saved. 1967. I know it was before you were born. I've gone through that all week long. In 1967, the driving laws changed in Sweden. One September morning that was set by the government, 5 o'clock a.m., Everything reversed. So what do you mean by that? I mean, drivers switched from driving on the left side of the road to the right side of the road. I I mean, that's a radical change that occurred for every car, every motorcycle, every bicycle in Sweden. More than a quarter million traffic signs on 60,000 miles of road had to be turned around to face the other direction. Ramps that had been designed for low-speed exits off of superhighways now became high-speed entrance ramps. And the entrance ramps became exit ramps. And in the cities, this is where it really got fun, in the cities, the, the buses and the trolleys that once let passengers out at the curb now discharged them out in the middle of the traffic. <laughs> Everything changed in an instant everything went from going one direction to going the other and folks that's what happens when you meet Jesus Christ his invitation is to get off of the Broadway and get on this narrow road it'll be a life-changing experience to those who do it many of you have experienced it some of you experienced it so long ago you've forgotten what it was like Some of you, it's more recent. You remember and you understand what I'm saying very well. Some of you have never experienced it yet. But today, today, God's calling you. Remember what I said. He invites everyone into this narrow way. Would you take the journey? There is no other name given among men in heaven or on earth by which you must be saved. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in that name that can take the biggest, baddest man in the world and make him like a little child again. There is power in that name that can take the most broken and wicked person who has been destroyed by the world and their own self-indulgence and their own pride and can make them simple and beautiful again because of what Jesus does in their hearts.
There's power in that name. That power can take someone like me who's dead in sin and make them alive. It can take someone like you who's walking in darkness and make you stand in the light. There's power in that name. I want to ask you today, would you cry out to Jesus? Would you call on him? Would you trust him? It will change you forever. It did me. And I know I can get testimony to that from a lot of folks sitting in this room. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of invitation. I, I want to give you the opportunity to respond. What's God saying to you? What is God speaking to you? What is God wanting you to do today? Is he calling you to surrender your heart, your life? Is he calling you to get off of the broad road and onto this narrow path, this narrow way that leads to life? Don't ignore him. Don't act like you don't hear him. Respond. Be obedient. Say, but it's going to call for such a radical change. Yes, it does. And it will be the biggest blessing of your life. I promise you that. I'm not going to tell you everything's going to be easy. I'm not going to tell you everything's going to be good. I'm not going to tell you the world's going to fall in love with you and your boss is going to think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm not going to tell you that everything's going to be wonderful in your home. I'm simply telling you this. You will have a peace of heart you could never imagine. You will have a joy that you never knew you could experience. And you will have an eternity promised to you that is beyond anything you can imagine in this world. Is he calling you? Maybe he's calling you this morning to enter a relationship with him. You're lost. You know it. He knows it. You're just hiding it from everybody around you. Uh, Forget that. You say, well, I don't want people to make fun of me. I don't want people to think. Listen, can I tell you what happens when somebody gives their life to Christ? Number one, biggest thing you need to know is Jesus said when one person gives their heart to him, there's a party that's set off in heaven. All of heaven rejoices over it. And and for those of us who are down here on earth but are part of his kingdom, we're going to rejoice with you. No one's going to make fun or make life. We're going to rejoice. We're going to celebrate what God does in your heart. You need help with that decision? Come. In a moment when we stand and begin to sing, come. We just want to pray with you, share with you. We won't embarrass you. It's your decision to make or not. Brothers and sisters in Christ, have you gotten distracted? Have you lost focus? Are you not walking on that narrow road or maybe you're going back and forth? You know, so many places across this country, you can drive down the interstate and you can see the old highway right off next to it. You can drive that old highway and you can see the interstate right over there across the field. And sometimes we lose focus. It's easy to swap from one road back to the other. Listen, listen to me. Maybe this morning he's calling you to get your heart focused on him. Stay on track. Don't lose focus. Follow. Serve. Let him use you. Maybe you started out on that road, but you've let so much junk get into your life. Did you know today he'll let you clean the junk out and have a fresh start? Maybe you need to do that. Whatever he's calling you to, I just ask you, hear his voice. Be obedient. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. A challenging word. A demanding word that calls us to move beyond beyond where we are to follow you, to walk your way. Lord, I pray this morning that we have heard your word, that we've heard your voice. 
that we'd be obedient. Lord, I believe with all of my heart there's some in this room who do not know you as Lord and Savior. Maybe they've walked down an aisle sometime. Maybe they've even been through the baptismal pool at some point in time. Maybe their name's on a church roll, but they don't know you. Father, I pray that if that's the case, that you would show that to them. Convict their hearts of that truth. Draw them to yourself. And Father, there are brothers and sisters who've lost their focus along the way and, and everything else has gotten more important. And you and your kingdom have grown to be less and less in their life. Oh, Father, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Draw us back. Make us right again. And teach us to walk in your way. Father, whatever you might be calling us to or leading us to, I pray that we would just hear your voice and respond in obedience. Father, whatever you desire to do, do it. And we'll praise you for it. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.